Hi guys, it's Chris from The Film Angle, with a quick disclaimer here, hoping that you guys enjoy the episode, of course, today. But unfortunately, this one was released a lot later than we intended in the recording. And as a result, you'll have to forgive us, as in the episode, we mention taking a break while we're going away to Ireland. Now, that is old news now. Uh, We are back from holiday, and a new episode will be with you guys on Wednesday, 26th of April, as usual. So, Enjoy the show, guys. Hello and welcome to the Film Angle Podcast. I'm Alex. And I'm Chris. And today, it's our 51st episode, Chris. We made it past... No, it's our 52nd. No! 50... Well, 51 technically numbered. There we We had a bonus episode once. Um, but I'm calling it the 51st episode because the last episode we call it the 50th. Yeah. <laughs> so we have to stick to our principles. 51's the new 50, baby. That's I don't it. know why. It still, still sounds strange to say that we've been doing this for 51 episodes. Uh, but um, to celebrate this, Chris and I uh, are going on a little film angle trip to Ireland together. That's right. We're... <laughs> So, I know it, it was kind of impromptu. I don't think we like last this time last year we ever thought we would be doing something like that. But we're going to uh, head to the motherland. <laughs> um, I, I can't call it that. Well, for me, possible. <laughs> we're, go- we're, we're going to Dublin first, which I'm, obviously I'm not from. I'm not from Southern Ireland. I'm from Northern Ireland. But we are going to start in Dublin, and then we're going to head up to Belfast um, for a few days, which is my neck of the woods. So yeah, we'll have a little. Guinness tour. We'll go around. We'll hit the pubs, and uh, we'll show you Alex a little bit of where I'm from. And I know. Be... I'm looking forward to it. I've done Belfast, but without a tour guide. I did. Um, I did the Game of Thrones tour. Yeah. Uh, oh, this is this is a while ago now when Game of Thrones was still on, and we still liked it. I'm sure uh, they're still doing those tours now. That's still like such a big thing in Northern Ireland. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. It wasn't like you were going to a set or anything like that. I think you like drove past one of the studios, and they're like, "Oh yeah, sometimes the throne's in there." You know, okay. <laughs> and then they 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 take you to some, um, you know, like on set or like wooded, on location, wooded area, yeah. and they're like, "That tree was in a shot." You're like, "Whoa." I think I there was one bit where they um they were like this this was Winterfell, and it is like a I wouldn't say it was a castle area, but it was like a, an area with oldy worldy buildings, and they were like that window, everything else around it was CGI. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, I'm in Winterfell, baby. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I kind of got that when I watched the watched the show, kind of all that CGI <laughs> any castle. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like King's Landing as well when they did the Battle of King's Landing in season two. They did like um, it was all just polystyrene blocks put together, and the rest of it just CGI. So whenever it must be so disappointing for a fan. I mean, you, you go around and it's like here's where this was shot, and you're just looking at rocks and the sea. <laughs> Do you know what? Do you know what? It, it's, <laughs> I wouldn't say it was disappointing. I wouldn't say it was disappointing. It was it was still really good, and it, I saw Irish countryside outside of. Belfast, which was the rolling hills, absolutely glorious. Um, and you know, if I'd just been doing a city break, I might not have made my way out that way. Uh, but I must say, I'm a lot more excited this time to to go with a local and uh, wow, and, and get an idea <laughs> of the of the best kind of places to go. But it does mean that the film angle will might be taking another one or two week break. 
uh, whilst we whilst we do that, because I think the likelihood of us catching up with films while we're there is probably quite slim. Well, you say that, Alex. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> if the pubs aren't open on Easter Friday, was it a Good Friday? Then uh, we um, we might have to figure something out. So, uh, but yeah. However, I'll make sure that I document the whole thing via social media. So make sure that you're following us on Instagram at the Film Angle or on TikTok at the Film Angle as well. And I'll um I'll I'll try put some little things on there of us going around Ireland and. Uh, Chris, you can you can point out where things have been filmed, and uh, and we'll make it film related if need be. All right. <laughs> this is a this is a lot of pressure. <laughs> I mean, I, right, let's put this out there. No, I think I've been I've been Dublin once, <laughs> so <laughs> let's let's um let's pull it back a little bit on that one. Northern Ireland, yeah, uh, I'll try I'll try my best. I'll try to what, point what, out some things. <laughs> what's a good film set in Dublin? Can I think? Like set in Dublin, or actually set in film? Dublin, or film? Mm. Wow. All I can think of is the recent Always uh, Sunny series, which had a, yes. had a detour to Dublin, but I'm pretty sure they didn't film one scene there. That's so true. I mean, like a lot of movies I've seen set in Ireland, they're never really set in Dublin. Like they're ever set in the countryside, or you know, I've seen movies like set in Limerick, like Angela's mm. Ashes and things like that. But yeah, it's not really Northern Ireland seems to be getting more of the movie like Hollywood coming to visit to film. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where was Dairy Girls filmed? Where do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Are we going there? The clue, the clue is in the title. <laughs> we'll, we'll go there. We'll go there. Okay, okay. We'll, we'll find time. We'll find time. Anyway, um, to prepare us for this Irish trip, uh, we have recently watched a full Irish language film. Um, yes. Called The Quiet Girl, which was actually in the running for a Oscar in the international features in the most recent Oscars. Um, and it is a film that I believe both you and I very much like, Chris. Yeah, I kind of, this one snuck up on me. Um, there is another fellow film podcast from Northern Ireland that I was listening to, um, a couple of months ago, kind of flagged this one up for me, uh, before it was even nominated. And I heard really, really good things about it, but I didn't know if it was just like the Irish pride, you know, sort of bias coming into it. It, it, it you know, I hadn't seen this movie pop up anywhere else. But when I actually got the time to catch up with it, and obviously with the buzz around the Oscars, um, I went into it kind of just kind of not knowing what to expect. And I was completely like knocked over the head with how much of a powerhouse this is. It's such a small, um, you know, insular little movie, but it sneaks up on you like nothing else. And it's really cool to see. I've never seen a movie in Irish before. It's sort of a language mm. that is... Um, you know, it, it's it's surrounded by folklore and, you know, and, and, and it's an ancient sort of language that's completely lost on most of the public and very, very few people speak it nowadays. I was, so, was going to ask, like, do I need to do I need to do a lingo some some Irish? <laughs> I, I, think, <laughs> I, I think it's like when you go to Wales and you go to those really like secluded rural areas and you might get like the odd you know, farmer who really, really keeps themselves to themselves away from different like modern communities that they sort of speak um, the old language. But yeah, it's like you wouldn't certainly find hardly anybody in Dublin, um, you know, or Belfast speaking Irish. Oh, excellent! So I don't need to do a link. No, no, you're you're okay. Yeah. It was so <laughs> annoying when I was uh, traveling in Canada last year, 
and we were in um, one of the French-speaking provinces. How dare uh, they? My French is awful, man. And I and I thought it would be like Welsh, you know, like uh, it's on the signs. A few a few of us speak it, but we we don't really. But no, they they just all straight up speak French. Out of um, defiance of English more than anything. I, I think there is definitely an element <laughs> of that. Everything's in French. They all speak French. And uh, in some areas, it was difficult to find English menus. <laughs> it's like, dude, <laughs> where am I right now? <laughs> wow. I never really knew that. Like, I, I obviously, I've, I've known that, you know, the French speaking Canadian sort of, you know, that sort of region of Canada. But I never really realized it was so, like, in on it. Like, it was so... You know, this is we're doubling down on this thing. I think some of them are very um, hardcore. Like we're not, we're not, um, you know, English speaking Canadians. We're, we're French Canadians, Quebecois or something like that. And uh, they, can, <laughs> I think, some of them <laughs> cause trouble at the borders when they're asked their nationality and stuff like that. <laughs> just keep so saying- I've been told. So I've been told. If I struggle the menus over there, I would just ask for poutine. I know. It's the only thing I know. Oh man! <laughs> I mean, even though I, uh, I, you know, I had uh, my brother and and his partner able to help me out with everything, um, I still ordered poutine because poutine is amazing. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um. Well, the Quiet Girl. Um, is set in 1981. The film follows a withdrawn nine-year-old girl who experiences a loving home for the first time when she spends the summer on a farm with distant relatives in County Waterford, uh, I think it is. Um, The film was nominated, obviously, for Best International Film at the Oscars. Um, So it's a pretty big deal for Ireland, actually. Um, I think Ireland was pretty well represented in the Oscars in general. I mean, despite not winning anything across all of its nominees. Um, Mm. Yeah, we did really well. But I think this is one of the standouts from from our dear country this year. Mm. Um, It's it's sort of a very... It's like a lean 90-minute film that really focuses on um, a young girl. She's really kind of introverted. She's kind of the, the product of a really large Irish family that's sort of is struggling. The mother is struggling with kind of the upkeep of the kids um, is kind of completely disappointed by her relationship of her husband who is, you know, gallivanting um, with another woman. Um, sometimes uh, the young girl, Kat, I think it's Kat she's called. Mm. She's kind of uh, strung along for the ride in these car journeys with her, with her father um, where she's openly witnessing him cheating on the mother. And it's just this kind of horrible, really uh, home dynamic where, you know, her as a child is being exposed to things that she shouldn't be exposed to. And she's just also having two parents that are completely indifferent to her. It's like she doesn't exist. Um, They make sure that she gets up and gets to school in the morning. But apart from that, there's no love in this home. And then she ends up being taken in by her mum's cousin, uh, whilst the mum is having another child. And uh, during that time, she is shown what is just a normal amount of kindness a human being should show a child. And um, obviously, it's absolutely incredible for her. Mm. It's it's like a, a, a fairy tale to be treated in this way, to be treated with somebody who, you know, has an opinion and a, and a, and a voice and, and consider you when making decisions um i think that was my i think that's where the film is it's most beautiful it just shows that just the 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 simplest acts of kindness can go a long way um when dealing with a young child um you really are developing them at that age 
and just the smallest moments can mean so much. Mm-hmm. And it's and that sounds like it sounds like it's a heavy-handed sort of film when you break it down. I certainly thought it was going to be probably a bit heavy on the emotion before I went in to see this film, but it it, it kind of does earn its way as it goes along, and it is very subtle. I mean, you get these little hints. You know, um, Ethlyn, who is the her mother's cousin, who's who's hosting her in this home. She puts her up in a spare bedroom, which is like decorated almost like a little boy's bedroom. It's got um, it's got this wallpaper. I think it's it's either cowboys or airplanes and trains or something like that. Um, it's you know decorated and there's hints at a, a loss of a previous child. It's not, but it's not explicit. And there's definitely this sort of, even though Ethlyn and uh sean the husband are very warm towards her maybe not sean initially we'll get into that a little bit more um there still feels like there's a scar on this couple there's something missing they are in a sort of like going by the numbers day by day routine but there is definitely like an absence in this house and obviously cat fills his void um and it's, it's really interesting, but it really sneaks up on you. Sean is initially, he's initially kind of not wanting anything to do with Kat. Whenever he she walks into a room, he'll leave. Or... Almost like he can't get emotionally invested in another sure. child. It's, yeah. I, I, and obviously the film reveals that as it goes on. It, it's kind of a really, it's a really wonderful um, slow burn in a way. Not too slow where it's boring, but like this like slowly revealing Mm. the full extent of how important this child is to these people and it really captures that sort of like the you know when a kid is their world is all they know is their own home life and they bring towards any shame or you know there's an instance where she wakes up in the morning she wets her bed um when she's staying there and her like instant reaction is like i'm gonna you know i'm gonna be punished for this Mm. instead Eflin, you know she reads between the lines um here and she knows the the home dynamic is probably not exactly what it should be and she reads up on that and instead she treats treats her with kindness the whole sean and cap a relationship is really what kind of got me in this movie um him sort of warming up towards her and, and him slowly opening up and blossoming and their relationship really fully forming i thought the 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 performances were just incredible um, and that's really what the movie relies on. It's this trio, this dynamic, and um, it's really subtle hand played. And yeah. yeah, I mean, when it comes to its sort of closing moments, um, it's kind of bittersweet. There's, um, I don't know if you want to get into that part of the story, if I'm kind of jumping ahead here a little bit, but. Well, it's difficult, isn't it? Because you, it has a very emotional ending and I don't want to re- reveal too much to people because I feel like this is a film that probably not many have seen yet. Mm, Um, But it it does have a very sweet emotional ending. And I think I wept, I wept at the ending, you know, it's really, it's really beautifully well done and it's really powerful and just ties a really, really neat bow on what is kind of like a really sweet, sweet film. Um, yeah, I wouldn't want to spoil it for anybody. I think it is no. something you need to kind of catch on yourself. I think it's one of those movies. I actually watched this middle of the week. I was absolutely, completely tired, as was my partner, Lauren. And then we sat down and we watched it. And even though it was sort of a slower, methodical sort of movie, it, I, you know, we were completely invested in it from start to finish. 
and yeah. you know that that's quite a task for a movie of that tone and space to you know uh, that was that should have been a weekend watch for me but i was completely like enveloped by the whole thing and it became one of the most powerful movies i think um featured in the oscar ceremony i think it i think it deserved a lot more attention than it received for sure absolutely absolutely uh what won best international film in the end it was all quiet on the western front yeah was it <sighs> this is so much better than that film and I, I like that film but yeah I mean, I can see why, but I, I, I feel like you're never going to get another Irish language film turn up in the Oscars again, and it's just kind of nice just to see that sort of thing being represented and not the obvious thing. I liked *All Quiet on the Western Front*. Don't get me wrong, but it's definitely the least exciting movie that kind of had such a span of Oscar noms this year. It, it, you know, it, it could have been applied to any year. Um, yeah, but you know, you know. That's how it goes. Yeah, absolutely love this movie. I think it's beautifully shot. I think it's such a delicate hand. And yeah, way to go, Ireland, for a really, really promising film. Definitely, definitely. Um, And a great childhood performance from Catherine Clinch, I think. You know, I don't know if um, she's a native Irish speaker herself. But I mean, you know, a performance like that is really hard to get right. Yeah. Especially from a child. So I think kudos to her. Um, yeah, great film. So, we have caught up on two more films in the BFI Sight and Sound Greatest Films of All Time list. Two more of our blind spots. What number um, are we on now? So, we just did Pierre Le Fou and uh, The Spirit of the Beehive. They were 87 and 85 because we are waiting to watch Histoire, Histoire du Cinema. Uh, 84 was Blue Velvet, a film we both love very much. Yeah. And now we're going to be talking about the British film A Matter of Life and Death, which is number 83. And okay. Charlie Chaplin's uh, classic um, Modern Times, which was 81. In between those is Sunset Boulevard, which uh, we've both seen. One of my favorite films of all time, I'd say. Maybe we should have watched that. Well, maybe one day we'll do like a Billy Wilder sort of marathon and we can get to watch it again and all the other great films that we haven't yet watched of his. So we'll, I thought we'll you were going to say Billie Eilish for a second then. <laughs> Billie <laughs> Eilish, the greatest American filmmaker of the, of the 40s and 50s. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I would love to do that. Um, I might just watch Sunset Boulevard in my spare time at some point because I bloody love it. I mean, like, yeah, it's completely worth it by itself anyway. Um, Absolutely. I, a Matter of Life and Death seems like a movie that should be completely monumental in terms of British film. I feel, I feel so surprised that no, nobody in my elder family statesman sort of area of my family have ever mentioned this to me or have never heard of it from anybody else, <laughs> you know, just generally because this thing is pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah, this is... I was very surprised. I almost had to keep checking that this film was definitely made in 1946. Right. It is is an an amazing looking film. And I mean, I might be being ignorant here, Chris, but was Technicolor a a big thing in 1946? Because I feel like a lot of the films that I watched from that decade are still very much black and white up until maybe the 50s. I mean, it was something that was really kind of reserved for the really big... 
the really big budget westerns or certainly the technicolor widescreen musicals i mean mm. we obviously wizard of oz um utilized it in 39 but but even wizard of oz everybody thinks that was the first movie to sort of use it there were definitely movies using it before that too yeah um, but it was yeah it was reserved for like right we're going to use this for something that's really epic um and yeah and i think a matter of life and death definitely applies to it but i think it's apart from wizard of oz i think it's where they use technicolor to a really artistic extent not just for the visuals there actually is intent behind uh, yeah. the choices because this movie isn't all technicolor it's black and white as well yes um, yeah it's almost reverse um, the Wizard of Oz because apparently the scenes which are black and white were actually filmed in color and then had the color stripped out of them. Is that true for for a matter of life and death? For a matter of life and death, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. To be honest, after watching this film, I I, I did a lot of like googling and <laughs> researching. And you went down the rabbit I, hole. I went down the rabbit. hole. I was so intrigued. I was just like, this film is mad. Like it's a technical achievement. There are um, I was surprised. I was taken aback from the first scene. Um, maybe we should describe what the film is about before I talk about the first scene. Um, but A Matter of Life and Death follows a World War II pilot whose plane is about to crash. His crew are all dead, and he knows he is also about to die. And he is on the radio to an American... Um, operator i guess whoever's yeah, yeah. picking up whoever's picking up his sos call and he's letting them know that that he's going down um he goes down in a fog and he pops up again on a beach it turns out that the afterlife have almost missed him to bring him to the afterlife yeah. they don't call it heaven but it is essentially heaven uh and they need to obviously bring him back to the afterlife but from Meeting this woman in his final moments through the radio, he's fallen in love with her and he washes up on a beach where he is able to meet her again. And he has to make a case with the afterlife as to why he should be allowed to stay on Earth. Mm -hmm. And it's that's pretty lofty. But I was just like, in that first scene, there's a lot of close-up shots with inside the, the, the airplane. Yeah, is that something that took like that took me straight away? I was just like, you do not see shots like this in in films from this from this year. Yeah, and you can almost see you know the flames sort of engulfing him before you know. Obviously, there's an element of trickery behind that. But any other sort of movie from this era that would focus on a pilot crash would just completely close up on his face and not let anything else be shown. Um, because they would struggle with how to represent that on the screen. But here, we actually, I actually got the feeling that this guy was, you know, going to crash any single second, and there, there was a real sense of dread. Um, but the way that David Niven just kind of plays it with this sort of old, old-time British coolness, this yeah. sort of, you know, going down with a cup of tea attitude. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, I guess this is the end here, yeah, darling, and... What do, what do you think's next, huh? I imagine I have old wings and <laughs> yeah, no, I mean taking it like an absolute champ, and it's actually such a, you know, you completely get why June um, 
the radio operator completely just falls in love with him in this moment. Um, yeah. She actually, they, they end up, she kind of declares her undying love for him as, as he crashes and she's weeping yeah. as this it, happens. So a- Actively inspired the um, scene in Captain America where he is obviously having to put his, it's a plane thing going down, super sci-fi the, plane World yeah. War Two thing going <laughs> yeah. down and he's on the radio to, to Peggy. Um, mm, actively inspired that. that scene. I can see that. I think this movie does it better, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's not nearly as memorable. <laughs> not nearly as memorable. Um, I quite... I, I, let's talk about the guy who actually his job is to pick up um, the sort of spirits who have, or people who have lost their lives and take them to the spiritual sort of realm. Um, he's a called Conductor 71. So he's like this French like aristocrat guy. Yes. Um, so yeah, he, for some reason, he's a revolutionary sort of French aristocrat, but his job is to collect the bodies and he missed, um, Peter's body. So that's why Peter's still on earth and he wasn't transferred over. So they're literally doing the tally up, uh, you know, in heaven or, or in this, in this sort of spiritual realm. And, uh, there's one person missing. There's one soul missing. So it's uh they got to go back and get the numbers right but you're right peter's got such a he, he meets june again um when he lands on the beach and she's cycling back to her quarters after her like her night shift and uh they fall in love and he they resume the relationship that he they promised to each other as he was crashing down on the plane and um conductor 71 the french aristocrat he he tries to lure him back and say hey come back with me buddy but uh I can say Peter's having none of it. He's uh, he has a really good case, you know. Um, it wasn't my fault that you get. I fell in love after you you dropped me here. There's no reason why I should come here. It's nothing my fault. It's your error, you know. Why should why should I suffer and June suffer for something mm. that was beyond us? And then it becomes this. They get kind of entangled um, with this Doctor Reeves, um, who's really interesting. Um, role in the movie, I really enjoyed his performance. That's Roger uh, Livesey. He was he was really cool in this movie. I he, he felt like he was out of his time when I was watching this. I didn't feel like I was watching the guy who was from the forties. It made me like when I watched his scenes, I felt like I was watching like a nineteen eighties sort of horror movie where I got this mm. this the expository uh, doctor scientist guy. Uh, he leans into that stuff really really well. Yeah, he really does. He really does. Um... The, the just the whole thing is so interesting because it's really it's quite lofty, but um, in terms of its themes, um, and that feels quite daring after World War Two, um, sure. to to kind of face death so prominently. But it's almost as if it's none of the soldiers because you have a scene uh, near the very start where you see uh, his his crew. Going up the stairway to heaven, his alternate title. Uh, going up the stairway to heaven, and one of one of his crew is is kind of waiting for him to also arrive in heaven. But heaven isn't seen as this. I keep saying heaven. They never mention it's heaven, but the afterlife is never seen as this scary thing. It's almost seen as the honorable thing, uh, as in they've they've died her an, a heroic death. That none of them are scared. None of them are upset. They are they are content with the fact that this is the next stage of their life. Yeah, and yeah. I thought that was a really interesting way to do things, um, and maybe kind of gave some solace to the families who were watching the film at at this time. 
many of which in the world would have lost loved ones in uh, World War Two, and kind of maybe a sense of pride given mm. to, to those who passed away. Um, it is worth mentioning that I think there is a little bit of propaganda nature to this film. It was <laughs> the 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 final scenes um, are a, a massive courtroom drama, essentially in the afterlife, um, making the case. Some of the most amazing like staging I've ever seen. Yeah, it makes it look as if it's this humongous setting, but it's all matte paintings and mm. and covers and all this kind of stuff. Um, but apparently, the film was commissioned to almost like help with relationships between the UK and the US. So this is a UK film, and um, the the court scene turns into a bit of a we're good in the UK because we're brilliant humans, and and uh, the American one of the American characters is like we're we're amazing in America because we do this. And they're like, oh, we should all get along, UK <laughs> and the States. It's a bit odd. It works, but it- yeah, it, do- it does it does work. Um, when when you find out that piece of information, you're like, oh, that's why that that scene turned into that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it is quite interesting. It does become a America versus UK sort of thing, and it's a, an attack on each other's sort of DNA and characteristics and history of war, and you know who 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 did worse <laughs> in, in but, our but they, history. But they come together. They come together. At the end. Oh yeah, of course. Like of a, course. A, you know that's the that's the. It's kind of like it's kind of like one of those big Star Trek sort of courtroom episodes that you get where they kind of get lo- you know lofty in terms of you know um, recounting the the histories of, of humankind and, and how we've moved on since then and mm. how humans are yeah it, it's it's very much like that but it's really entertaining and like never it's like edge of your seat sort of stuff at the same time I just felt the the backgrounds that you get in this scene where you, you're basically this courtroom is like a giant the, the world's the biggest theater you've ever seen in the world it's like a, it's like the gladiator coliseum times 50 there's this panning out shot where we get from a it's obviously like a model or a map painting where it's just like fields and fields and fields of uh of people watching this 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 tiny stage where everything's going on and it just gives you the scale of what the uh the afterlife is like i think it was so impressive i think the the staircase um set piece is probably like if that exists somewhere Mm. i mean that's got to be like gotta be one of the greatest sets ever created i mean it's just this completely like maximalist sort of uh post-war sort of very cubism sort of set that's really angular and yeah but very it's very beautiful and regal but also like really overflows you with this sort of uh this sort of sense of the gods and and what's awaiting for you and that, i thought it was really cool and it's and it's moves it's an escalator exactly it, and it, and yeah. it's it, and you may have seen it it's been in or inspired other other pieces of of art uh wayne's world 2 <laughs> has a scene oh, with a with a similar stairway uh the simpsons have used it obviously the simpsons use everything yeah, but, yeah that's yeah no it's, it's it's kind of iconic and i wasn't aware until just how iconic it was until watching this film no no it's really cool i mean i think it's and it has a really a really nice ending too mm. i think that's that's the thing you need to come out of this thing cheering I think it's impossible not to go into this movie and come out of it not feeling completely uplifted, you know, regardless of your background mm. or, or how your feelings towards politics or religion. It, you're right. It's not right to call this place heaven because 
it excludes itself from any sort of background and kind of just focuses on the on the on the human condition and and the honorability of 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 sticking to our our morals and and uh and kind of cheesy but high love kind of prevails right mm, mm. love always prevails um yeah i i thought this is amazing i think i couldn't i couldn't be more impressed with just the performances in this movie the i think david niven is just ex, he just exudes so much um charisma like you fall you find yourself almost falling in love with the guy when you're watching it yeah. You know, that's the important thing. You need to be on his side and you really need to root for him and his relationship with, with Jin. And yeah, I mean, that's what kind of keeps the whole thing going. And you're, you're on a knife's edge wanting the, all the best for him. And I thought the other characters are really fun. I think like I said, conductor 71, the French aristocrat, he is without a doubt, my favorite character in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> he, he completely hams it up all the time in the best way. I, I think see I think David Niven was my uh, was my favorite. No, that's uh, completely understandable. Yeah, I just I loved I just loved his cadence. I love the way he talks. I love how it was very like hello old chap. <laughs> I just I don't know something about it. it. It won me over from that very opening uh, scene. You know, but, yeah, of course, because I think otherwise this movie could have felt very heavy and very overly sad. I think mm. he he helps keep the whole thing really really light. You know, because the way he just sort of takes everything on the chin and kind of takes it as it comes. I mean, even when he's annoyed at the circumstances of which he's being like, you know, being tried for his right to live, he's still taking it at a like a day by day basis. Yeah. Um, you know, he never gets too emotional about the whole thing. He's like, oh, this just seems this seems outrageous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's 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 completely entertaining watch. I mean, I just can't believe this isn't a household staple. Um, I think it's got so many great things going for it. I mean, it looks like like you said, it looks like it was shot yesterday. I mean, yeah. I felt like a good some of the close ups are so good, well realized. And some uh, really creative shots. Like you you've got these like motorcycle shots which look like they're going at a hundred miles an hour and they look great. There's a shot where um, he's having uh, brain surgery, essentially, to find uh, to figure out if he's just going crazy and thinking the afterlife is after him, or it, it, well, I guess they assume he is, and it isn't real. And the film makes you decide that as well. Mm, yeah. Um, but there's a shot of him closing his eyelid, and and you are seeing it from his eyes, so like his POV essentially, and in the eyelid closing over the camera. Um, which yeah. I think must have been some form of uh, puppetry contraption, which they used to do that. Uh, but you just think, like, how creative is that? Like, it's just just brilliant for a film, a film of of, of this age, um, really going out of its way to 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 be mm. uniquely interesting in in style and format. Um, yeah, I especially, loved it. especially from England, where you know there was a whole host of wartime movies at this time. That you know, some of them are great, but there is that tendency to be quite more kind of matching the British mentality by having the stoicism. You know, the camera not moving much, a lot more conversational. Mm. Um, but to seeing in 1946, these two directors, you know, you know Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger, just be so creative. I mean, it's no surprise these guys went on to make like the Red Shoes. You know, and, and peeping Tom, like these guys were really ahead of their their time in the British film scene. They were kind of, they were from a different era already. Um, yeah, 
So, you know, and that's no surprise that the technical aspect, you know, borrowing from the red shoes is is so amazing in this. I mean, you really feel like you could jump into the pores of some of these characters in this in these close ups. I mean, it's that well done. Yeah. Um, yeah. Complete blind spot for me. But just I'm so glad I caught up with it. Yeah. And we will be catching up with the red shoes um, later on in the series, I believe. As mm-hmm. we go forward, I believe it's in the top 100. It is. Um, was it was it all in his head, Chris? No, of course not. Yeah, I kind of, I was. On, I took it. I took it very, very literally. I was on that side as well, very much so, <laughs> very much so. Because if it was, I mean, what was it all for then? I mean, but the 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 judge in the afterlife was his brain surgeon. What's that all about? How did I not pick up on that? Mm. Mm, oh, don't 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 ruin the movie for me, now, Alex. <laughs> No, I think it makes it better. I think it makes it better. <laughs> that is definitely interesting. I have to. I'm gonna have to rewatch it with that in mind and like believing that that is the truth. That yeah, is very that, interesting. That's uh, to be honest. I still. I was very still. Much, I was very much still on the side of it. Of it being, I took it literally as well. I very much took it literally. Uh, talking of films that are way ahead of their time, uh, let's go back a little bit in time from ten years. I think exactly to. Charlie Chaplin's Modern Times, uh, a film that is regarded as a silent film, but it's not really a silent film. Right. This is what you would call a part talkie. Yeah. So talkies were very much a thing at this time, uh, or they were still relatively new. Um, But Charlie Chaplin didn't want to take his character of the tramp and make him speak because he thought that would ruin the illusion of this character that had been in multiple films before um, modern times and decided to to go for a kind of hybrid, I guess, of the two. And yeah, it's bloody brilliant. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it bloody is brilliant. I mean, from the gargantuan, you know, sets that are kind of commenting on the industrial revolution from the start these you know these these rooms where you got a muscular sweaty guy controlling these big massive switches that do supposed to do something <laughs> they make the factory <laughs> run but he's running around the place like a maniac we have um a factory sort of boss the ceo who appears on these sort of um at the time very like sci-fi screens coming up on all, all around the factory you know telling people to keep up with her work um he doesn't subscribe to to breaks it's all about the commenting on the industrial revolution by like saying you know productivity over you know um human sort of interaction and yeah and yeah go ahead well i was gonna say like i was i was completely shocked by uh how almost anti well not that it was anti-authoritarian but the fact that it was ha- like poking fun at the at this industrial complex and this idea that the the humans working class workers are, are, are barely human they are they are here for speed for creation and you use them essentially like rats or like ants and you have a whole CCTV system from the boss who's cosily sitting away in his room as he spies on everybody and then tells them to work faster. Um, 
you and then obviously a, a whole gag later later on with a autonomous uh, food <laughs> um, machine which helps feed the workers faster. Which I must say, Chris, I know the joke is obviously that it, it malfunctions, it's bad. But even if it was working, I don't see that catching on. Like I, he still couldn't work while it was happening, right? He still couldn't work. But... Well, the fact the fact is, he would see precious minutes of him walking to the break room and back. Uh. Um, yeah, that that gag is hilarious. I think ever since like you, you're introduced to Chaplin's the Trump character at that first scene on the conveyor belt where he is trying to keep up with the rest of the line workers, and whenever he gets distracted or you know how that kind of completely imposes difficulties on that conveyor belt working line, um, that bit is ho- absolutely hilarious. Um, I mean, it's very hard to describe what Chaplin does in a podcast form because obviously being a Chaplin silent film, it's very visual and the humor is very visual. So mm. we sort of do our best, but I think... And the comedy is almost entirely physical. Of course it is. I mean, it's just... it's. Cr- I mean, this is a later Chaplin, one of his later movies, yeah. really, yeah. Uh, in the character. So, you know, I mean, just the, but the physicality. That he, you know, similar to when we were talking about, um, you know, the the general, um, recently. I mean, the physicality that, that that these movies need to really become as immortal as they are, is just something else. I mean, it, the movie is just so funny from front, but it's filled with, it's filled with things on Chaplin's mind. I mean, if you think about anything that he's done, like City Lights or or The Great Dictator, there's always been a political message behind them. But without feeling like you're being hit over the head or you're given something that's really heavy, um, he presents these issues in a really, really light way. Um, but the overarching... Sorry, sorry. No, but the overarching thing is that the thing is funny, and I couldn't stop laughing from start to finish. But also quite touching. Yeah, I mean, I, I find... Obviously, there's some really kind of uh, cutting criticism in here, some really kind of uh political moments which obviously i loved and um but there's a very profound moment and and these moments are everywhere but this they're very small and then we move on to the next gag it doesn't it doesn't hang around but there was this really profound moment when charlie chaplin has uh taken the the role of a of a night watchman mm-hmm. uh, in a in a what do you call the Big stores where they Depart- got department department store. store yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah. Thanks for the help there, Chris. That's okay. <laughs> uh, in a department store, and um, the department store is, is, is ends up getting burgled, and he's downstairs on roller skates while it's happening, <laughs> and uh, you know physical comedy ensues, all this kind of stuff. They capture him, um, and then one of the 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 burglars um, recognizes him from the steel factory at the start of the film. It's one of his fellow. Um, yeah, big, one of his big, previous big Bill, I think his name is something like that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and he he says to Charlie in text form, um, mm. "We're we're not burglars. We're just hungry." And he kind of and there's this split moment where he's almost like breaking down to sure. Charlie Chaplin whilst he whilst he reveals this to him, and it's this really kind of like gut wrenching moment where you're like, these guys just haven't got the means to live and and then it moves on and you're like oh yeah this, this cutting commentary of the time of, of how workers are kind of um just 
um, how workers are just kind of worked to the bone for for little to no end, and it's just uh, yeah, it was I just I thought that was a really profound moment, a, a split second, mm. and uh, just it was those kind of moments that really really made me fall in love with the film. Yeah, and it's not just like a completely Chaplin led vehicle as well. I mean, he has this mm. um, he forms this relationship pretty early on. I mean, it's kind of a romance as well. Yes, um, yeah. he, he runs into this orphan girl called Ellen who is yeah she's she wait, does she live with her she doesn't live with her father her father dies yeah she right? so i think she lives with a father and sister and they're and they are very poor and just kind of on the streets um well literally they're just kind of like fishing right is that if, if i remember rightly yeah but they're they're stealing they steal from like like barge supply boats that come. Yeah, that's it. The that's dock. It. She, there's a scene where she gets chased by a bargeman. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and they and her and the tramp kind of cross paths because, um, Chaplin's tramp is very. He, he's he's actually a very empathetic person. There, he sees that there's a the police are after her in one of the in one of the scenes on the street, and um, over I think it was like a, over another theft, and he takes the blame for it, he takes the fall and says that he stole it and then he's taken to prison. But it's very in this very comedic way, as as they're pulling him off into the wagon, he's waving at her in this really like childlike puppy way. And um yeah, but he's a, but, ah, that's because he's looking to get back into prison, right? Earlier on in the movie, he yeah. in a, the bit that stays with me the most in this movie is when um, he's he leaves work, he's quit he's quit work and he's walking down the street. And there's this truck that goes past him with a flag balancing on the back of it. And uh, it falls off the truck. And he's just being a good citizen, picks up the flag. And he's charging towards the camera like, hey, you forgot your you forgot your flag. And then this whole, this mass mob of, um, co- of communist protesters communist. <laughs> um, join the back of him. And he looks like he's leading the battalion. <laughs> <laughs> and he gets um he gets arrested as being like the leader <laughs> the leader yeah it's brilliant and then ends up ingesting cocaine in the prison by accident which uh which is which is pretty um uh interesting for the time as well and uh, i wonder how they got that past the very strict kind of um, film boards they had at the time yeah no that that's that stuff is brilliant i mean like it's almost like you can see where i can see paddington too the Knuckles McGinty prison escape stuff is like in here as well. Um, mm. it, it, there's, there's a lot of DNA of a lot of movies that we see nowadays. And I just find these movies so like intoxicating. They're so magical in, in terms of their like, they're, they're a callback to a time period we never lived in, but they're also like, I, I, they exist in their own little realm of fantasy. It's this sort of like lightning in a bottle era of cinema that, no matter, like, I think even in another hundred years' time, where audiences will be still watching this and cracking up because the you know we get it even in our modern films. I think even Minions reference, you know, Minions maybe not be a successful um, uh, way of doing sound humor, but you know, I, I I find the Minions funny. Um, I think in that movie they even reference. I think they're are they watching the scene? They're in the department store and they're watching the scene where Chaplin is on the skates nearly falling off the edge while he's blindfolded um so it's completely like a lot of our our humor our comedy today is completely influenced by the great work that he did back then 
Yeah, I can see that. I um, I've I've only seen Despicable Me once, so I, I don't know. Uh, I haven't seen any of the Minions films or anything like that, so I'm afraid you're alone there, Chris. <laughs> but that doesn't that makes sense to me because obviously they are quite physical characters, and uh, those films are are all about the kind of physical comedy. And that, that it it did make me think when I was watching this, I was like, I w- I would would not hesitate to show this to a child. Uh, I know I just said that he ingests cocaine in a prison, but it's done in a, in a way that uh, <laughs> I think you can get away with. Um, uh, but like, it is, it is so much fun. I think, I think the, the humor holds up in, in the same way that you could sit a child down and watch Mr. Bean. It's that kind of, it's that kind of comedy. It's the comedy of errors. Like this, nothing goes right for this guy. He walks into a place and a plank falls on his head. He leans on a table and it breaks. You know, all that kind of <laughs> stuff. All these kind of like brilliant moments. Um, yeah, I, I, I loved watching it and I, I just looked like it holds up really well. And I think I sometimes have a bit of ignorance in regards to the, like the silent era. Like I haven't seen a lot of films, but these there's two films now within that era mm. that have completely won me over. And I, I, with this one as well, um, I, I think it was it was many many like I'm talking like over ten years ago now, uh, early days when you could have iPods and iPod Nanos and stuff like that. You Pretty sure. sure iTunes gave away Modern Times for like free one week or one month okay. or something. That you could have it, and um, and I downloaded it and never watched it. I just couldn't bring myself to watch it. I was, I was <laughs> it's better. It's probably better that you watched it now on a really nice crisp restoration than on an iPod Nano though. <laughs> It's true. It's true. Hey, the the first time I watched my favorite film for the first time ever on an iPod Nano, I watched Eternal Sunshine on the Spotless Mind, and it did not bother me that I watched it on an iPod Nano. I completely fell in love with that film. I've never watched. I mean, like their, their heads must have been the size of your thumbnail when you were watching. Oh yeah, I mean, like <laughs> obviously you can't see on a podcast, but I'd, I'd have it right up to right up to my face uh, under the covers. But like it all it, it all blurs into one uh, into one big magical thing at the end. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't believe I used to watch films like that. I, um, I think, but you you got to start somewhere, and that was the best way to. Uh, hide the fact that I was watching movies at the middle of the night from my parents. <laughs> <laughs> I was much less, I was much, much more explicit about it, about it when I was, I, I used to get like, I was in my bed at night, I had the TV on and I hear the, I hear the door open uh, from my mom and dad's bedroom and then I hear the creak on the stairs and I'm like, shit, turn this thing on and then i pretend to be asleep as soon as she comes to the, the door and uh, i got got caught a couple of times and it didn't end well for me um but as it shouldn't have because it was a school night but you know, I, I think it's worth mentioning in this movie too the the music is um is definitely worth is noteworthy i think the romance theme we all know i think we it's one of the things we really associate with chaplin is um the smile song which is obviously was recorded by Nat King Cole later on, but um, in, this kind of plays in even modern films like Joker uses 2019's Joker uses this very heavily, um, but it just uses a sort of like a lingering strain thing between um, both the Trump and Ellen. And it's this love thing that's really beautiful. And you're like, and you oh, you forget, Oh my God, it comes from this, you know, that's such an infamous mm. music. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, this is like the first film i think where chaplin's voice is heard as well yes yeah yeah in in song anyway yes yeah true um where he's like completely he's just singing in gibberish um 
um they the lyrics are like non they they're basically nonsensical but they they're kind of a combination of french and italian so i guess that's kind of like like minions in a way too i mean they kind of are influenced by that also it it keeps up that that physical comedy nature because even though he's singing like you said like it, the the lyrics don't mean anything to you but you get a sense of what this what he's saying yeah. Um, through the way he moves and the way he he sings them and what he acts out whilst he's doing it is it's kind of it's kind of genius in a way to break the illusion but not break it too much. Yeah, I I funny when you were speaking there I, about the drug scene. I was just looking it up there and it says um, online on the sort of on the on the Wikipedia page it's saying the reference to drugs seen in the prison. Uh, the prison sequence is somewhat daring for the time, obviously, but since the production code established in 1930 forbade the depiction of illegal drug use in films, um, but he was very, it was just got past the censors, basically. Um, mm. But he apparently he done it earlier on. He'd, he'd been showing drugs in movies ever since his first um, short film, Easy Street, that was released in 1917. So, you know, he was obviously uh, like to push the boundaries a lot there. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it was something I kind of, I'm so used to watching and desensitized in movies nowadays. Whenever I was watching it the other night, actually didn't even dawn on me how, how you know, outrageous that must have been for the time. Um, yeah. There's so many things. I mean, these guys, like, you wonder how he, Charlie Chaplin le- lived a full-blown life. The amount of stunts that they pull on a regular basis in these films i mean obviously you know that's a map painting when he's skating in the top of that department store and you know if it still has the effect of it but eh, just the regular stuff i mean he must have had broken bones on a daily basis oh yeah health and safety wasn't what it is now (laughs) (laughs) i think uh babylon did a very good job of uh portraying that as well as much as that was obviously well i assume a heightened version of that era but uh um yeah we all know it had its fatalities. So both really big fans of modern times then. I'm both Very really big. excited for any more Chaplin that might come up on the BFI list. Absolutely. Is there more Chaplin on the BFI? Is City Lights on there, I think? Is it? Uh, just from a brief, brief look. Yes, yes it is. Excellent. Number 36. So we've got a little while to go, but I look forward to seeing some more Chaplin. <laughs> We're only in like eighty something at the minute. <laughs> I know, I know. I, I, our next, our next two films after this are Sh- Celine and Julie go boating, mm. and then San Satan Satan Tango, seven-hour Romanian film. Uh, so potentially. Um, so potentially a 10-hour podcast on the yeah, way. Yeah, because Celine and... Ju- <laughs> All right, so we got a few big ones coming up. Celine and Julie Go Boating, I think, is quite a long film. Might yeah. be close to three hours. I'm not saying for sure. We've got A Brighter Summer Day and ever Edward Yang movie. Yeah, the, uh, Edward Yang's um, predecessor to Yi, I believe. Yes. Uh, that's nearly four hours. And then, obviously, Santan Tango, which is... Seven hours, <laughs> and not to mention when we eventually get round to the um, aforementioned Jean Luc Godard series as well. Um, maybe that yes. should be the last thing we do. <laughs> have we have we mentioned on here yet? I can't remember. Maybe maybe we have. Maybe we haven't. Uh, the the nine hour Holocaust documentary. Yes, if we I, have, then I just keep going on about it. No. I mean, I, it's a it's a way off. It's a way off. 
Um, but I'm still kind of nervous <laughs> to watch know. that one. I mean, like, well, we'll wait to see, like, how you know, how it kind of does itself any service whenever we watch it. But I, when I when I see things at length, I'm like, surely, like, this not it shouldn't be. It's it's a TV show more than anything. I guess. I, I guess. guess it's it's hard. We'll see. But we'll see. Maybe proven wrong. I know a lot of people uh, can kind of, and and it's come up again with John Wick Four being nearly three hours long, and the director said. You'll sit down and binge a TV show. Or just sit down and watch three hours of John Wick, and yeah. by all means, it Jimmy sounds Cameron. like John Wick uh, <laughs> um, deserves its runtime. I'm looking forward to whenever I catch up with that. Um, yeah, I'm yeah, really excited. Struggle with a seven and a nine, I reckon. We'll we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. I mean, if anything, you can have the bragging right. You know, when anybody ever asks you long as a movie you've seen, it's like nine hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I uh, I'm gonna go off and uh, binge watch nine episodes of uh, Love Is Blind. So I'll uh, see you in a bit. Uh, I mean, it is true. It's just finding the time and finding somebody who wants to sit down and watch it with you. <laughs> yeah, I don't think <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm definitely watching these solo. <laughs> same, same. It's like one of my precious Sundays is just going to be yeah. devoted to a movie. Yeah. How do you fancy spending on your on your precious day off um, sitting down and watching a nine hour documentary about the Holocaust with me? Oh, I think that'd be no? lovely. <laughs> <laughs> no oh, okay <laughs> sure <laughs> um we'll we'll endure anyway we have committed i'm i've even though we're like 20 movies in th- that's a fifth to me that's at the end of the 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 feeling of completion of me being i can i can die happy after this so i'll feel like a whole person i need to do this we're, we're gonna do it the whole way even if yeah. it takes us 50 episodes <laughs> to do it it's fine. It's fine. I, I I'm not sure about dying happy. I need to do the two fifty, and then uh, I have plans to do um every uh, Oscar winning film, and then I have plans to do mm. Edgar Wright's uh, One Thousand One Films to See Before You Die. So I got I got some living to do. So. <laughs> Damn man! I mean, or every Oscar nominee ever, you know, that ever existed. Ooh, I don't know if I could do every Oscar nominee. Some every artists. best picture oscar nominee is that what you're saying no mm, i mean you can't yeah maybe that'd be a bit more reasonable there are some stinkers um outside of that list i imagine yeah i could do that because that could anyway we're turning into a behind the scenes of the podcast <laughs> hey for 2025 <laughs> uh, i don't i don't know there's loads of scope i mean movies are a bottomless pit so well, we'll get around to everything eventually. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we should uh, we should probably leave it there and um, let everybody get on their way. And we shall uh, be in Ireland by the time. No, actually, won't be in Ireland by the time this one drops. But we'll be we'll be about to jump on a plane. Jump off a plane? No, I've done that before. Mm. Don't don't need to do it again. Well, make sure to stay tuned to our TikTok on our Instagram page, guys. As Alex said, we should have some more interesting stuff for you there. We'll be keeping up to date with our with our film angle first holiday, will we call it? Yeah, the the island tour. The we're island. not we're Sorry, not doing yeah. any venues. Um, we are just going there. But if, it's the if first any, anniversary tour. Yeah, if any venues um, listen to this podcast in Dublin or Belfast and want to want to do a film angle live let us know absolutely don't know what we talk about 
I want to see that. Are you going to watch a film between, between the, uh, here and then? Oh, I think, I think, no, no, no. I'm going to be, I'm going to put the films down for a little while. But I think next time when we come back to do our next episode, I think we'll have a lot of stuff to talk about. I think I'll, I'll, there's a few things on the next couple of weeks in the horizon that I feel like are going to be easy to catch up on. Nice. Sounds good. Yeah, exciting stuff. This has been the film angle for this week. I'm Alex. And I'm Chris. Good night. Goodbye. Good night. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.